everybody, this is James M. Ward, and welcome to the Crusader Podcast, a show about the Castle and Crusades role-playing game, Aaliyah Acta Est, the die is cast. Welcome everybody to the 15th episode of the Crusader Podcast, where we've got a good show for you tonight. We're going to talk about our favorite monsters and how we use them in CNC. But first, I want to go to our hosts and ask them what they've been doing in gaming recently. So I'm going to start with Mike. What have you been doing recently? Breathing. <laughs> that that's not a oh, that's gaming. not a game. Gaming. Um. Oof. Gaming. Um. Uh, ever since the holidays have crept up, I've I've enjoyed watching my GM going through the the traditional DM pastime of desperately trying to get most of the players together <laughs> for one more game before the end of the term. And it's one of those where at the climax of the campaign, so he wants everyone there. And of course, starting in November, that's nearly impossible. So it, it we really have we done any gaming really? Uh, we have not Since we the- have not done any role playing gaming because yeah, like you've said, our DM has not been able to get all of us together for the big finish. Um, I think oh, we played supers. Yeah, you and I played with, supers uh, with Gary. Gary, so we've done that. Gary ran ran a, a supers game. Yeah, um, and we did some board game playing with most of our group um, about a week or so ago. But yeah, supers has been the only RPG gaming that we've been doing over the past month or two. Yeah. Pretty much. You guys much. are like on your mid-season <laughs> break then. Pretty much. Well, you know, mid, late November to mid to late December, I really can't do anything anyway since I got to grade papers and finals and stuff. So that always cuts in on our gaming. Alas. But Supers was fun. I think it's hard to get anything done in November and December. We should take <laughs> those completely out of the year. Like they should just should just be a buffer yeah. time. Uh, a one big holiday from like the day before November until like January second should be a national holiday. I fully yeah, yeah. support Especially if it that. means we're paid. Buy. That would be cool. Well, of course we're <laughs> paid. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> All right, Carl, what have you been doing? Well, I in gaming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have also <laughs> been breathing. But uh, in gaming, I have a, a homeschool game group. We recently had ourselves a little uh, Christmas party. Um, and during the Christmas party, uh, they got up and, and uh, handed me a card and it was a thank you card for running the game group and running them through uh, all these RPGs. And they gave me some gift cards and it was just a really nice gesture. And I, I think uh, I can no longer uh, be in the masses of unthanked uh, game masters, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> they, they, it was very sweet. You know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of rare that, that game masters get their their due in, in our hobby. We, we kind of take them for granted sometimes. And you have proof. That's really cool. You've been doing the homeschool group 
uh, for quite a while now, haven't you? Yeah, we actually had 15 kids playing the other day. Wow. Um, and so, like, I put them in a Minotaur's Labyrinth, and I, I mean, we we didn't even have character sheets. I was like, no, 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 you're all just Greeks. <laughs> I can't, I can't have like 15 people with 15 different sets of powers. Like, no, you're just dudes. Um, and so uh, they were in the Minotaur's layer, and we actually um, uh, have split it up now. And one of the older kids is going to co-DM and it's going to be in the same campaign world with the same campaign. We're trying to defeat five evil dragons. That's our campaign currently, but we're actually going to take on different paths. So one group will go to adventure site a, and one group will go to adventure site B uh, with one DM or the other, but they would still all get back together. And the stuff this group does will affect the other group. Yeah, that's awesome. As for me and gaming, um, I went to Gamehole Con back in on Halloween. That was okay. fun. Um, played with Tyler, CNC. Um, played a couple off the grid games with Jason Hobbs. That was fun. Um, had a great time, like always. It's one of my favorite conventions. And then I think it was two weeks later was UConn in Michigan. Um, went up there. Played AD&D for like 12 hours straight on oh. Saturday. Uh, loved every minute of that. And other than that, my friend is running CNC at our local game store. And I've been playing in that game every Monday. Awesome. Um, my cleric recently lost his powers. So that kind of sucks. It was deemed that some Ooh. of my actions weren't very cleric-y. Some guards <sighs> accidentally got ki- I was there, but I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> And no, um, there's no witnesses. But yeah, there's otherwise. there's a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty by association. Ah. Uh, I may have burnt some important documents and stood by when some shady things happened that I probably shouldn't have. Ah. But so now I'm just a terrible fighter. <laughs> but I, I'm going to try you to guess. <laughs> I guess. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I was a little I was a little salty about it because if Saint Gwynefort the goddess that I worship, if she doesn't want me, you know, then I might have to find a new god or Shop goddess. Shop around. Don't make a decision too soon. Yeah. Jump ship. I am. I think I'm going to. <laughs> find yourself a deity that's okay with a little bit of burning of documents. And- <laughs> I want to worship the god of document burning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll burn them. Ask for applications <laughs> and for various deities. Okay, deity. Um. What what can you bring to me as your cleric? What 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 do you have to offer? I feel like my cleric probably barely <laughs> passed seminary. Like he he got through, but he was not committed. <laughs> Last in class kind of guy. Oh gosh, mm-hmm. I guess we could have talked about you running victorious at um, Tyler Comic Con because that was around the end of October, very first weekend of November too. So I guess we did do that. I think I didn't we already talk about that? May have talked about it on the other show. What other show would that be? <laughs> safe rap, safe rap, safe rap, safe rap. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, yeah, we went to uh Tyler uh Rose City Comic Con in Tyler, Texas. Um I ran a game of Victorious there. I ran a module that I had written for North Texas. I'm pretty sure I groused about that on here is that it's 
um, everybody's playing villains, and it's called Moriarty Must Die, and it's basically everybody's playing second and third tier villains being hired by a, a criminal mastermind to knock off Professor Moriarty in London. And I groused the last time because, you know, I thought I was going to make con gaming work for me. Since all the players are chaotic, they don't work together, they stab each other in the back. Well, fine, I'm going to make characters where this works. And everybody worked together so well. They were all, you know, just a team. They even got <laughs> got done an hour early. They, they worked that well together. I was so disappointed. So I ran the game, that scenario again at Tyler Comic Con. And... Before the mastermind had, he had just finished making his spiel and money had been passed out. One of the four players had immediately walked out the building and went looking for Moriarty to turn traitor on the other three. And he did. It, it was everything you wanted and more. It was everything I wanted. In fact, and Moriarty hired him to protect the train. So the other three are trying to attack to kill kill Moriarty and the fourth one is protecting him. So how did that go down at the table? Like, did he pull you aside to tell you what he wanted oh, no. to do he or said right out in front of everyone else, this is what I'm doing. And okay. it was pretty cool too, because everybody else at the table did not use player knowledge that this guy was betraying them. Everybody else went on with what they would be doing, assuming that all was going as it should be. And the players didn't take it personally, you know? They just rolled with it. You know, they laughed about it, even while the fight was going on. So, even when one of them got thrown off the train. <laughs> That's really fantastic. Yeah, it was, for a con game, it was it was cool. I mean, honestly, like, I think uh, uh, when we play these games, we should look at it as, like, a story we're all discovering together. We're all observing this, these events take place together. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, it's a role-playing game. You play your part in that story. Um, uh, but I think sometimes people get a little bit caught up in the, the id of it, the very, the very, uh, uh, personalness that the, that the experience can, can feel very personal, uh, and get upset about certain events, but it, it's really cool when people go, okay, no, this is just something we are all taking part in and observing together. Yeah. Tell that to the guy that took my cleric powers away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it counts for, for dungeon masters. <laughs> <laughs> he observed, he observed you doing something bad and you you're going to get a better God out of it. Yeah. You get to shop around for a god. Maybe Can you guys hear my dogs barking? Oh, well, I've got a cat yeah, purring in my lap, so okay. that's kind of. Eh. <laughs> I have kids watching Home Alone, so at any point <laughs> they might start screaming. You know, if I was better at marketing, I would have mentioned uh, in my "What have I been doing in gaming?" Uh, Arkansas <gasps> RPG Con because that's a that. thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing that happened, and uh, uh, I gamed. I ran uh, two game, four games. I ran four games. There, Which, so considering you were that running fun. the con, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> we are going to be there in 2020. Awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the best thing I can say about the games I ran uh, uh, was that uh, all of them uh, 
ended with with everybody still wanting to keep playing. Like they all, everybody was like, no, 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 let's keep going. So I feel like that's a that's, a sign of of a well ran game where people are like, well, was it really over though? What, what could happen next? That, you know? <laughs> that is the best feeling as a DM. People want to keep going unless you're exhausted. <laughs> then it's like, well, thanks, but no. <laughs> that's still a nice feeling even though like you know we can't right, like right. we're so tired but it, it is a nice feeling to know but um i did run uh my uh castles and crusades red box hack that i have made um uh, which makes castle and crusades a racist class kind of kind of 80s nostalgia trip um at uh at arkansas rpg con and and that game went really really well so we haven't recorded in a long time, but we did do a lot of gaming. <laughs> so at least we had that to talk about. Yeah. We had to think a bit. Or I did anyway. It's like, oh yeah, this did happen, didn't it? I don't think we realized how long it had been. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was like, we must have talked about this. That was months ago. <laughs> oh no, we haven't recorded in months. <laughs> well, we do have a couple of emails, not a whole lot. Um, some of them actually came from... Mike and Liz's other podcasts, but they were nice enough to send them over here so that we could use them on this podcast because people that listen to our podcast, you guys never write us. That's not cool. We have to go to other <laughs> podcasts to get emails. So send us some emails. Think about it. This first Won't one you? is from, what's that? Think about it. <laughs> Won't you? Yeah. Carl, use your best yeah. dad voice and pressure our fans and descending. Yeah, because that always to works. <laughs> Look, li- listen, listen, listeners. Your mother and I aren't angry at you, but we're just disappointed. We're disappointed you're not sending us emails. <laughs> Wait, am I the mother? I think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll roll with it. Remember, cool kids, right? <laughs> they, they learned it from watching us. I think. <laughs> All right, so we have an email here from Crimson. Hey guys, I would like to see an episode on running AD&D and Swords and Wizards, Swords and Wizardry adventures with CNC. It would also be great to see an episode on high-level play. Cheers. Well, um I think we kind of covered a little bit of that in our converting episode, episode 13. AD&D is obviously very easily converted over, and I think we've all ran adventures spanning AD&D and CNC. Um, Swords and Wizardry is also a quick one to convert over. Uh, I do like the idea of talking about specifically high-level play, though. Um, Frankly, that's something that I don't personally do a lot myself. Um, So it would be be pretty cool to get into the nuts and bolts of what you have to think about when you're, you know, running for high-level characters. 15th, 20th, 25th. I'm usually lucky to make it to level 9 or 10, and then it's like, I'm kind of tired of this character. Can we <laughs> can we start over? Yeah, that's a little bit of foreign ground for me, too. Once once we get up to level 10, I'm ready to wrap it up. For me, yeah. that's like the sweet spot of, of ending. But no, it would be fun to, to do a deep dive into high-level play, because I personally don't have a lot of experience with it either. I have had one campaign go to like extremely high level. Uh, and it was when I was uh, a kid. Oh, well, yeah. When I was in high school, you know, junior high, yeah, we had 50th level campaign. <laughs> yeah. Well, what can I say? We had similar. We had similar for sure. <laughs> we were 14, 15. What do you want? You know? Yeah. 
Same. Same Yeah, we were we were we were like, what what Olympian will we fight? <laughs> Let's kill everyone in the <laughs> deities and demigods book. <laughs> But let's go to Gamma World first so I can get some <laughs> sweet gear. Yeah. Uh, as far as, uh, I, I mean, we definitely just did an episode on converting uh, character, or games to uh, uh, CNC. Uh, those two specifically mentioned the running adventures. I think AD&D, you know, it's, it is, to me, it's the easiest one to convert to CNC is AD&D First Edition. Swords and Wizardry. While I don't think it would be that challenging, I do think the part that would be a little bit different to like communicate over would be the single saving throw that that changes things a little bit uh, because when it presents it as just a single saving throw, you roll a save in this circumstance. You don't get that handy dandy chart of like, well, okay, this is this type of save. uh, So I'm going to roll it on this ability check. Uh, so you'll have to think a little bit uh, on, on where to place that. But I think it'll be pretty self-explanatory. The, the nice thing about the ability checks is we're so familiar with what those abilities mean. Usually, if we've been playing games like this for a while, that it's pretty easy to go, okay, well, this is clearly going to be dexterity. or This is clearly going to be intelligence or whatever. Word. All right. Here's another one also from Crimson. Uh, hey guys, I think we can all agree that CNC is an amazing game. Being a part of a large TRPG community and having introduced a lot of people to CNC, many of whom are not castle keepers, I feel most of the people I know are not interested in the settings put out by Troll Lords, but are more into the rule set itself and use the rules to create amazing adv- settings and wonderful worlds. I always love getting together with other GMs and hearing about their home games and settings. I thought it would be great to hear about others' home games on the podcast, their settings, highlights within their games, etc. It would also be really cool to see you guys review the newer modules for CNC since there doesn't seem to be any reviews available, such as the Hallowed Oracle, etc. Can't wait for the next episode. Keep up the great work. Castle Keeper Crimson. So there's a little bit there. I, I also... I'm not going to say I don't like Aired or anything because it is an interesting setting. I own the book. I have played games in Aired. But I've been running the same uh, adventure world that I, I started in high school. So I can see how a lot of people would come at CNC as a toolkit approach just for the rule system and tack on whatever setting they're used to using or not. Oh, sure. I mean, in in the old school community, for example, there's a lot of people who speak about the awesomeness of Greyhawk. And it is awesome, don't get me wrong. But I know back in the day, you know, most people I knew did not run games in Greyhawk. They ran them in their own home games. And, you know, that doesn't mean there was anything wrong. It just wasn't what they wanted to run a game in. And I think Aired is the same way. Plus, Aired has a certain flavor, you know, that kind of fey, fairy tale almost kind of setting. And, you know, if you like that, that's great. Some people don't. And that's cool, too. Well, I think... For some people, the aired setting suffers from the same um, drawback as, say, Forgotten Realms does for second edition AD&D. There's so much out there, and 
a DM can feel constrained by the, you know, multiple books about Forgotten Realms. It's like, well, I have to do it this way because this book says that this happened and this is the timeline and da 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 da. I think for some for some people, having so much available can feel like a straitjacket to them. And so they're just like, ah, no, I don't want to run in this world because then I have to keep track of all this crap. And my players are going to keep track of the crap. And if I don't keep track of it sufficiently, they're going to call me out. Um, so I think that can be you know, why people can prefer to do their own homebrew because it's my world. You can't tell me I'm doing it wrong because it's mine. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. I I do think that Aird is a little more flexible than some of the other published uh, campaign worlds. Um, but yeah, well, it doesn't have a fiction line that helps. Yeah, and not having like stats for every NPC ever. I in third edition, I played a lot of Forgotten Realms. We always played our games in Forgotten Realms when we used a campaign setting. And it was, it's hard not to trip yourself up, especially if your players know more about the campaign setting than you do. <laughs> and then they're mm-hmm. correcting you all the time. It, it's difficult. And that's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, so like my, my thing, like when I'm trying to find a campaign world, I'd want to run into, uh, if I, I, I open it up, I try to pronounce the names of the places and usually I'm like, nope, <laughs> can't pronounce these. <laughs> and if, if I, <laughs> I so prefer stuff like the Dreadwood, the Dark Mountains, mm-hmm. or the Rolling Hills, rather than the Galbalagog Plain of the Bullfigaby Wood. With, I don't feel Arid has that problem. I think Arid's fairly pronounceable, except for the name of the campaign world itself, which seems to confuse a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I will say that. But I don't run in Arid. I run uh, I run uh, in two uh, worlds. I run in the campaign world of Dominion, which my family has played in forever, uh, which is actually just the United States of America turned on its head, like it's turned to the left and, and, and modified a little bit. Worked for Gary Gygax. Yeah. And uh, I play in the world of Ahos quite a bit, which is just I use Avalon Hills Outdoor Survival Board and use that as my <laughs> campaign map. Work for Gary Agax. <laughs> Man, I feel positively like a new schooler compared to Carl. Wow. That's old school. Well, I started in 92, so I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't feel that uh, new school. I started a little earlier. A little earlier. <laughs> but that's anyway. the, what that's what we're using for the the homeschool group. Uh, so the dragons are all populated on the out Avalon Hill board. So they they each have their layer. But yeah, I mean, I suppose to answer the email, yeah, I think he's right. I think uh, a lot of people basically take CNC and toolkit it over to whatever settings they'd like to run. I think creating your own campaign world is sort of the uh, the meta game of of the rpg the fantasy rpg is is there's a little bit about it that is world creation I mean, even when you run in aired or run in uh any other established campaign world you are making it your own and creating that world around it you know they're all malleable enough to do that or you can always take chunks of a published world too i like the dark and fold from aired i've kind of shoehorned that into my campaign world 
Yeah, taking favorite bits and pieces from established settings and putting them in your own place is a time-honored tradition amongst DMs. Yeah, I have an independent city-state in mine named Haven, and I basically use city-state of the Invincible Overlord for it. Hmm. It's an homage. Yeah, that's it. So we have one last email, and it's short and sweet. Scott Myers emailed us and said, Interview Chuck Cumble about the future of Troll Lord Games virtual tabletop games. That's a great idea. I know that he does the, uh, he monitors the Discord for Troll Lord Games. I know that he runs a game on Twitch, I believe. Cool. So that wraps up all of our emails. So we're going to move on to the prime topic tonight. Tonight we're talking about monsters in CNC, how we use them, um, some options available to you to use them, and what our favorite monsters are. My favorite, this, I don't I want to say it's my favorite monster, but I do think it's one that's just the utility of it is, is almost endless is, is skeletons, just skeletons, just skeletons is what I'm talking about. They're the low level undead, right? The first undead you face, typically speaking in a campaign, and they are a little bit of a puzzle monster, not a huge amount of a puzzle monster, but they are not affected as well by slashing and piercing damage uh, as they are bludgeoning. So you have that element to kind of discover about them, but also they can be anywhere. Like it's, it's not something that you have to be like, well, what's the ecosystem to sustain this skeleton? You know, they're very easy to place. So, you know, all the undead are like that where it's very easy to, to place them. I, I oftentimes, have a little puzzle um i don't know if it's really a puzzle but the environment that uh, you would find skeletons in my games uh, uh usually you find some have been an- animated and some have not and you find clues to the process of their animation uh one i use a lot is um gold coins on their eyes and you see some skeletons are up and about uh, they have gold coins at their feet as they're kind of meandering around. And there are some skeletons down uh, with gold coins still on their eyes. And so if you take the right precautions, you don't have to worry about the other skeletons animating. You can also hint at them. I like that you can kind of like hint at their presence. Like, oh, there's some uh, tombs in here or there's some bones on the floor. You know what I mean? There's a lot of suspense you can build up around them. It's not that suspenseful, I guess, because you're like, oh, it's just skeletons. We'll wipe these out. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that everybody uses. Obviously, it's not there's not a lot of insightful stuff necessarily to say about skeletons, but uh, uh, I just use them so much. Like they're they're like I always have like tons of skeleton miniatures with me when I run games and they're just they show up a lot. Now, skeletons are also really good to use against young or first time players because there is literally no remorse about destroying a skeleton. Mm. And so, you know, if you're new to role-playing and, you know, you don't have to feel bad about, I killed, quote-unquote, the skeleton. It's like, it's a skeleton. It was already dead. It's okay. So I've always found that skeletons are, you know, easy first foes for for people to kind of dip their toe into the whole idea of fighting monsters and killing them. It's like, you don't have to feel bad about killing a skeleton. It's a skeleton. And there's little need for description. Even Mm -hmm. kids know what a skeleton looks like. Plus skeletons are scary, right? Think how freaked out you would be if you just found a skull. That would be scary. Then having a skeleton walking around trying to stab you. Yeah. That's scary. 
<laughs> with no head. That's especially scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me back my skull. I don't know why we'd be talking. <laughs> the skull in your hand would be talking. <laughs> Put me back on my neck. Somebody cast a magic mouth on the skull and hey. <laughs> do you uh do you guys have your skeletons talk? <laughs> Rarely. <laughs> I have a couple of times, but, but but mostly to point out this is something really unusual. <laughs> Man, I, I I have to say I have a hard time resisting them not like being like, I'll get you, you bonehead, and stuff like that. <laughs> like some Hanna Barbera Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so a lot of my one shots, I probably wouldn't do that in a in a quote unquote serious campaign. But uh, uh a lot of my one shots are purely comedy hmm. since we're talking about the comedy uh uses of the skeleton i will mention a monster that i created and posted on dragon's foot and the cnc section and it was inspired by a player who was grousing because they had gotten some magic items and i required them to get the pearl the 100 gold piece pearl in order to cast an identify spell and he's like, yeah, we're in the middle of the woods on the side of a mountain, a hundred miles from the coast. What are we going to do? Find tweet tree oysters. So I said, hmm. <laughs> so I created tree oysters. They hang from trees. They look like on, on passing view as a beehive. But if you walk underneath them, they open up like a giant clam, drop down on your head, grab you, and pull you up. They didn't think that was that funny. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, well, you're mean. <laughs> <laughs> they had pearls in them, though, right? Some of them you could pull open, and there were like little animal heads <laughs> or skulls. And they've been pearlized because, they, you know, because of the enzymes that the the clams put out because of the irritation. And those things were worth hundreds and hundreds and of GP. But do I get thanked great until that? it's your own head. <laughs> you gave them what they wanted. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, geez. Players, I tell you. They were they were sort of like piercers though, so because they had that one attack and then they had to pull themselves up before they could attack again. Mm -hmm. So you know, if they miss that first shot, then yeah, they yanked them down and beat the crap out of them. So. Were they mobile uh, in the tree, or did they you you just had to not go under them? Yeah, they were extended on what looked like vines, but they were wrapped around the tree. Mm -hmm. So if they dropped down, they could pull themselves back up, but it was slow. So they had plenty of time to pinata them, <laughs> but they traveled in groups. I'm sure everyone who is familiar with me from the other shows is going to expect me to talk about kobolds. And I do love kobolds, but I got to say, I'm not a huge fan of the CNC kobold. It's not how I picture them in my head. And so I don't, use the kobold as it is referred to in the Monsters and Treasure book. Um, it's because they're not puppies, isn't it? Not just. I mean, yeah. 
It's like they, they, they have a they have a section where they talk about, you know, preferring to use traps and harrying techniques. Yeah, kind of, you know, a little homage to the Tucker's Cobalts, which I love that concept to death about cobalts. Um but yeah, I mean, they're not strictly underground dwellers in CNC. They could live above ground, you know, building little huts and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's that's not my cobalts. That's not my cobalts. They are underground only. Um, so yeah, um, I'm not really going to talk about the cobalt in CNC because I don't use the CNC cobalt. I use the OD&D cobalt or the Holmes basic cobalt or the AD&D cobalt or the weird mesh of all three of them into my own special cobalt. So no, but I will talk about there is in the section under hags, the green hag. It's pretty cool. And I don't know for a fact, but I like to think in my own head that the green hag was based very strongly on the uh, Ginny Green Teeth um, monster of of Celtic myth. Um, so they lure the unsuspecting to everlasting doom, living in swamps, moors. The Ginny Green Teeth tends to do streams and stuff like that, but you can put the green hag anywhere you want. Um, they can change their shape. They can do all kinds of things to lure you to the water. And once you're there, then they can use a depression, um, kind of like a ray of enfeeblement, um, and it weakens your will and resolve, and you basically let yourself be drowned. So... The green hag, I think, is pretty cool. And kind of like the skeletons, if you run across one of these things, again, you don't have to feel guilty about killing it. I mean, it's utterly monstrous. And I gotta admit, I'm not a huge fan of moral quandaries in my fantasy role-playing. You know, should I kill this monster? Should I not? Um, I... Maybe it's my my old school, you know, upbringing, but I like to know an evil monster is evil. And if I run into this type of creature, I don't have to feel bad about killing it. You know, so, you know, maybe that makes me a little, you know, too cut and dried and shallow as a gamer. But, you know, I want my orcs to be evil. I want my hags to be evil. I don't want to have to worry about whether or not I have accidentally killed the rare, good, you know, evil creature. It's like, well, 99% of the time, this is evil. But this guy was good, and now you've killed him. Don't you feel bad? Yeah. He's like, profiling. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would even argue that if it's not 100%, then you've created a situation where this is like, nurture versus nature products of their environment warring cultures if it's not a hundred percent of time these creatures are evil then all of them have the capacity to turn to good so you've created the situation where um you are kind of 
casting your uh, characters in your story as kind of like murdering uh, people from a different culture, not fighting monsters. Yeah. And then suddenly murder hobo is not just a funny term, you know, well, you're potentially murderers for real. It's like, I don't want that in my game. I, I just don't. Yeah, if it's considered a monster in my games, it's it's mostly like an embodiment of evil or something like that. There, there, I wouldn't say that there's never going to be a good orc in one of my campaigns, but none of my players should ever feel bad about killing orcs. I, I, I think that that takes, that adds, I like, layers in role-playing games and i think it's it's great to have moral quandaries and stuff but that's one layer that i don't really care to explore because like you said then you have to think about every single monster that you ever kill yeah and medieval fantasy type you know part of what i find appealing about it is while it's not 100%, it's got a lot more moral clarity than the real world does. If I want the real world's level of nuance, you know, why am I playing a role-playing game? And you can have moral quandaries and and not have that be an element of them. Uh, there's plenty of, sure. you know, plenty of room for moral quandary. I mean, there's moral quandaries within uh, Lord of the Rings, which is possibly the... Uh, the starkest black and white fantasy that there is, you know, as far as like the bad guys are bad and the good guys are good, you know, it still has questions of morality within the text. Um, and, uh, uh, my games have moral quandaries in them, but it's never going to be from, should we be fighting goblins and orcs? They are spawned, not birth. They are always evil. Even dragons are always evil in my games. I don't have good dragons. So I think you can just get that from other places. You know, there's plenty of interactions with humans that can, yes. that can generate those questions. Which yep. is exactly where I wanted to go. Because one of my favorite, quote, monsters to use is humans. If we go back to monsters being monsters, they're always bad in my games for the most part. Um, I think that when you add humans in, humans, first of all, are much more relatable. So... That's where you can implement a moral quandary. Orcs are killing people because they're orcs. They're monsters. But what about this bandit king? Why is he doing this? You know, he's not doing it just to be a bad guy. He's got some motivation that could move the story forward. Plus, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and humans are scary. There's yeah, people are way scarier than a lot of the monsters in that book. Yeah, I love humans, but I can't eat a whole one. <laughs> speaking of scary people i think i think mike i think mike might be the monster <laughs> um but i like them as as monsters because if you have a lot of human opponents um it makes the monster stand out that's one of the hang-ups i have with a lot of fantasy games is it's like there's goblins running all over the place goblins really aren't scary then there's orcs everywhere. They're not scary. There's a gob- or there's a dragon in every mountain. Well, they're not really that scary anymore either. Uh, but if you're fighting like a lot of bandits or just bad people, uh, warlords, things like that, I feel like it makes the monsters more monstrous, if that makes sense to you guys. Oh, absolutely. I feel that way about uh, monsters and magic, too. I think if magic is constantly all over the place, it it it's less magical. It's 
more just science by another name. And if you, if you want to do that, that's fine. I, it just, but it, I, I'm not a huge fan of it. Liz, if we go back to your example of the green hag, that's a monster, <laughs> but it is a humanish monster, right? Like it's, I don't know. It, it that's that's more yeah. interesting to me than like an abeloth or something like that. A multi tentacled monstrosity of the week or something. Yeah, if you have one multi tentacled monstrosity in your campaign, that's cool because it's different and it's scary and it's a WTF moment, right? But if it's all the time, that that takes away from the monsters, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I've never used even half the monsters in the Monsters and Treasures book. Me neither. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I always viewed it more as, this is a toolkit. I mean, do they necessarily all exist in the standard setting? Maybe, but not in my world. Not necessarily. I just pick whatever seems thematically appropriate. Yeah, I mean, and one thing that might be an interesting thing to do is find a monster you've never used and then work that into your game. Uh, But it's it's definitely true. Like, I I have kind of like the old standbys that I I typically use, and I make up my own monsters. And even though I have all these that I haven't even uh, uh, ever put inside a game uh, at my disposal, but I'm still like, you know... uh, there's a level of authorship that's that's satisfying when you make your own. I had um, in one campaign, I I had um, they were basically goblins, but the town, the farmers and stuff, they didn't know what they were. They just called them swampers because they lived in the swamp. But I just took a normal goblin and just changed something about it. And these guys, they cast like a it, it's like a magic missile, but it looks like it's made out of swamp gas. Mm-hmm. And so then, I mean, I'm playing with a bunch of veteran characters. And they go into the swamp, and I didn't describe them as goblins because they weren't goblins. They were swampers, even though they had all goblin stats. And all of a sudden, they're fighting these little green creatures with long tails and stuff, and they're thinking, oh, they're goblins. But then one of them starts, they all start casting spells. It's not a real magic missile. They got to roll to hit. But still, that threw them off, and it suddenly became much more serious than, oh, great, there's five goblins attacking us. (laughs) And... With veteran players, you occasionally have to do that. Not a lot, because they'll they'll come to expect that as well. But every now and then, if you throw a, a curveball at them in that regard, it keeps them on their toes. I have a uh, a monster I made up uh, that I call the Slizkin, and they are um, basically they look kind of like mutated frogs, uh, but they have kind of. Uh, really large bellies, but their limbs are all tentacle-ish, but they are anthropomorphic. They're not like uh, octo- octopi. Uh, they kind of walk around on two tentacles, and their arm tentacles end in these spikes, and they have all these rows of teeth, and I mean, it's just, they avoid the light. That's the kind of like the 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 defense against them and the catch to them, you know? You can, you can kind of defend yourself by just having torches lit. Um, but just the introduction of those, because they're a little bit creepy sounding and they avoid the light, it really creates this atmosphere of mystery that you you don't get if you use uh, kind of monsters out of the 
the the common lexicon of of gamer talk you know and there's there's monsters you can find in in uh, these books that your players may not know but you you never will be 100% sure of that so when you make up your own you have this kind of like uh, a real air of of the unknown about them that really kind of entices the imagination yeah the iconic example i would say of that is the river troll you know Oh, it's he's tall, he's thin, he's got a long nose, has green rubbery skin. Oh, it's a troll. Everybody get get a torch. You know, that that's the reaction. Once you describe that that troll, you know, I, virtually every veteran gamer is going to go, "Oh yeah, better get the torches, you know." But if you throw something like you were saying about your swampers, it it brings that excitement back of, "Oh crap, what are we facing?" What do we do, you know? Yeah, and I think that's the solution to it. I, I don't think um, you should introduce a troll, describe as troll, and then tell your players who've been playing for 30 years, you don't know what this is, so you got to discover in-game that fire hurts it. I feel like that causes lots of verisimilitude problem and also doesn't really feel suspenseful at all. Well, and it invalidates, you know knowledge of the game mm-hmm. to a certain extent it we're playing a game knowing a little bit about your world i mean with these guys have grown up you know being told stories of trolls and, right you know they may not absolutely know about the fire but they may know about regeneration and that sort of thing. yeah i i i am a strong proponent for player knowledge is character knowledge and that's fine or at least that type of meta knowledge I guess plot knowledge, not necessarily all the time, but I try to get that out of the way as quickly as possible if 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 it can be done. Agreed. All right. So, does anybody got any more monsters they want to talk about? I'd like to put in a a uh, comment about the giant tick. Of course, you would. <laughs> I love those. I love those. I insisted to Steve that they had to be in Monsters and Treasure because I love them so very much things about the size of a terrier and just drop from the ceiling onto your back and <sighs> I I I used them the other day Mike I used them in that uh Minotaur Labyrinth game because I wanted something to kind of like be crawling around that they could fight other than the Minotaur you just made my week you just had some giant ticks and uh yeah. let me tell you those homeschool kids did not like that <laughs> <laughs> they thought that was pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, but that's the fun. No, gross is when they're on one of your friends back a while and then you smash them. You know, that's gross. But again, like you were talking about skeletons, you know, arachnids, giant insects, that sort of thing is also monsters. You don't necessarily have to have concern about their well-being and feelings. You know, they're not soft and fluffy. and <laughs> Ticks are nasty. <laughs> Yep. Being an outdoorsman, I will kill any tick. And if there was ticks the size of terriers, I would no longer be an outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for joining us. We hope to hear from you soon. Remember, you can email us at the Crusader Podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave a message at 567 406 3386. You guys are supposed to say bye or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> It was a pleasure podcasting with you all. Farewell. (laughs) Or something. something.
God, Mike. <laughs> we made simultaneous bad jokes. Fine, Bree Ark or something. <laughs> <laughs> Some games may change, but the castle's Crusade Siege engine remains the same. Remember when those your your character was finding those zombies in that uh, monastery? Oh yeah, and it did the loser sign at me. <laughs> Creep. And it was going. <laughs> <laughs> it made a little with L, L with its thumb and finger. It's like, okay, that is it. <laughs> the zombie once told me <laughs> the world was gonna not roll well for me. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs>